What is going on everyone? This is Miles with Windows Central Gaming and welcome to the 71st episode of Xbox Chatterdays. After a couple week break, I am stoked to be back with my good pal Paris Lily of the Kinda Funny Xcast. Paris, how are you doing on this fine Saturday, my dude? No, I'm good. I'm good. Thank you for having me. This has been a long time coming to come back on, and uh, I'm excited, man. Let's, let's talk some games. Let's talk some games. A lot has changed since I had you on last. Uh, you know, you, you, Mr. Danger Zone, we saw you on stage at the Xbox and Bethesda Game Showcase, and then this last year you upgraded. Now you're flying. Now you're in the skies, literally in the Danger Zone. <laughs> Yeah, that was that was a real fun opportunity. Uh, Xbox uh, inviting me to come back out again and be a part of the 40th anniversary reveal for uh, Flight Simulator. And yeah, I mean, I got I got to fly a helicopter, got to go to D.C., got to go to the National Air and Space Museum, the Smithsonian, and just check out the planes and being with Yorg, uh, like you know, a little behind the scenes thing. It's we did like an all day shoot. It was over two day period, but we did an all day shoot um, at, at the Smithsonian uh, from like seven in the morning to seven at night. And Yorg, I was so educated being with Yorg because he knew something about every single plane that was in that museum and just kind of talking about the history of, of all of them and all. It was, it was fantastic. So I had a lot of fun with that and glad people uh, that got to see it enjoyed it. It was a lot of fun. So one burning question, is it as easy in Flight Simulator as it is in real life to, to fly that thing? Well, it, it's funny, like the helicopter, the pilot, uh, you know, obviously I didn't take off or land or anything, <laughs> but, um, but, you know, he gave me a, a crash course on how to control it. Like there's pedals and, and other things that you're doing. It's once you're in the air, it's not super complicated, obviously to just doing the basics. Cause that's all I did. But when you compare it to what you could do in, in flight sim, cause obviously you can just go as hardcore as you, you potentially want to. And that, um, yeah, man, it's like it's 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 crazy how how similar uh it can be if you really have the full setup and you you want to simulate flying a plane at home versus to what you're doing in real life it's the the like i said it, it's very similar so um again phenomenal game uh that flight simulator is and a lot, a lot more is coming <laughs> beyond yeah. this 40th anniversary <laughs> i can tell you that it's, it's gonna be a lot of fun Awesome. Well, we have we have a lot to talk about. It's been uh, you know, I've been off for the last couple of weeks, but this week in particular, there's been a lot of big developments. So we're going to be diving into the pre 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 alpha gameplay for Skate Four. We're going to be talking about Halo Infinite finally getting some co op. We're going to be talking about Xbox's current state in Japan, the growth that we're seeing. We're going to be talking about our expectations for Xbox in 2023. And a whole lot more. But before we get into all of that, Paris, for the folks who maybe don't know, give us a quick breakdown of who you are and where people can find you. Okay. Uh, so, <laughs> Paris Lily, um, I have been a podcaster slash content creator since 2006. Oh, in the game for a minute. Yeah, it's it's been a long time. But uh, I'm I'm currently uh, been been a part of Gamertag Radio uh, since 2013. And um, in the last few years, I joined Kind of Funny, and I'm um, one of the co-hosts over on the Xcast. Obviously, talking everything Xbox, but uh, I'm 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 a, a Twitterer, however you say that. Uh, you know, I, I I talk a lot on social media as well. But you know, it's, I I just love gaming, man. And I, I like talking about it. I like dissecting it, and uh, you know, seeing where the industry is headed. But that's me. Yeah, 
Uh, always love having you on. Again, you and I share a lot of similarities in the fact that we are both on Twitter, arguably too much, you know, engaging in the conversation, good or bad. But, but I like it. You know, sometimes the conversations get a little spicy, get a little heated, but I don't mind having the, the harder conversations. And I see you out there a lot as well, um, having the harder conversations. So that's why I appreciate you having, having you on. And um, yeah, let's get right into our first topic, which let's is the skate reboot skate four gameplay that we saw this week because last year ea came out and they revealed that they were working on a reboot for skate and it has been over 11 years since the last skate skate 3 came out in 2010 which makes me feel kind of old because i remember when that was like when skate was already running for several years and that game was was fresh and i i went back and replayed it recently and it still holds up and i still remember the feeling of playing that at launch but I had completely forgot that it had been 11 years since the last skate. So they came out with a trailer this week saying, we're still working on it. We are still working on this game. Don't worry, it's coming. And then they gave us a brief glimpse of pre-pre-pre-alpha gameplay. So I got to ask, are you interested in skate? Does this do anything for you? Are you? I personally am not, but my kids are. My kids play, still play Skate 3 um, right, right now. You know, you could get on Game Pass and the whole thing. Um, I, I understand the excitement for it and and the, and the magnitude of it. So yeah, I, I I get this coming back is going to be a big deal. I know a lot of people are looking forward to it, and uh, you know it should be good. I mean, you know, I'll, I'll definitely try it out. Don't don't get me wrong. It's just not the whole skate scene isn't necessarily my thing, but I understand the importance of it. Yeah, there's definitely the, the skate culture, skate vibe, if you will, is mm -hmm. definitely it's not necessarily for everyone. And I know skateboarding games as big as stuff like Tony Hawk's Pro Skater was. Uh, those days have kind of come and gone in a lot of ways. We haven't really had a skateboarding game that's been that big cultural phenomenon in that same way. But I wanted to have a broader conversation on this as we look to how this team has handled the reveal, the rollout, and the way they've demonstrated this game. Because a lot of the times we don't see gameplay until we're almost done, until that thing is right. pretty much a few months from shipping out the door. But in a kind of refreshing, candid look at the early stages development, this team said, here, here's a super, super early look. Things don't even have textures. You're watching polygons ragged all, all over the screen. Here's what it looks like. You know, we want to make a great game for you. We understand that you want to play it, but we're a ways out. So do you think that approach, do you think we should start normalizing that approach? Is that a good way for developers to talk to the community about the realities of game development. No, I think it is. I absolutely think it is. And I do think we need to see that more normalized where we're, we're having real conversations about the whole development process, setting realistic expectations on when you can expect it, not just showing CGI trailers every single year. And you're, when is it coming out? When is it coming out? You know, it's like, let's have that convo. So I actually think the way that they're approaching uh, the marketing here for skate is is good and and i want to see more companies actually start doing that with their games yeah i think it's really refreshing because there's a lot of people in the community who have big bold assumptions about how game development works <laughs> when you can show gameplay blah 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 and a lot of the marketing caters to some of those misconceptions about development and a lot of the, like we touched on, a lot of these companies aren't comfortable showing gameplay until it's super tight, super polished. Everything is just spot on and in line and there's nothing to nitpick. Um, but I really love the way the skate was shown in this kind of raw state to show you what it really, what really goes into making a game and, and how rough for the longest time it can look. Because I think what a lot of people don't really understand is that, you know, performance, 
fidelity, all of that stuff comes together towards the very, very, very end. end. The very so sometimes all this stuff doesn't really culminate into a good looking game until yeah, like we talked about yeah. a few months before development. So it is exciting, it is refreshing to have those conversations. And I think if more developers do that and get out there and have those honest conversations with the community, we can maybe hopefully um, reduce the number of misconceptions about what it takes to make a video game. I agree. If if you don't mind, uh, I, I would like to slightly tangent on that and, and show the to show the opposite view of why you aren't seeing more developers do this starfield mm -hmm. so bethesda held off for a very long time showing off that game and then we obviously just got to finally see it for what it, it what it's going to be here uh, at the xbox showcase a few weeks ago and just monitoring social media and seeing what people are saying is there's just been so many critiques and criticisms of of that gameplay that they showed. Like I know Digital Foundry did something on it. Obviously, you've seen other other people as well giving their opinions. And is it fair? Because at the end of the day, look, let, let, let's be honest here. I think we know why it got delayed. Now it's performance issues. Mm -hmm. They need more time to optimize this game. So clearly, Microsoft gave them more time to optimize the game. We're probably going to get in April or May of next year, and that's fine. But the point being is. You show you're showing it off in in an early state, and it's being criticized for it because it's not necessarily 100% representative of what the final final performance of the game is going to look like. But at the same time, you've had this big demand of what is Starfield? What does it look like? Mm -hmm. show, show us the game. Show us the game. They finally show you the game, and that's still not good enough. So you're almost a, in a damned if you do, damned if you don't scenario in that way. Now, if Bethesda had shown Starfield two years ago and it was an even worse state. Now it's being judged on what it looked like two years ago. Damn what it's going to be when it's finally out. So I understand why more companies are keeping it close to this. Obviously, we've seen the chaos this week. Of war. <laughs> so uh -huh. it's like I, I get why they don't do it and why you want to keep it more close to the vest and literally not show it until right before launch for this this very reason. But then you have the community upset when you don't show enough. So it's like, what's the balance that you do in there? And then, you know, bringing this back to skate, I like that they're doing that. But I also think I understand game development enough and I understand the, the whole process that it's not going to bother me to see it in a rough state right now when I know it's still years away. But maybe to the general audience, that's not good enough maybe they're going to judge it unfairly because of that. And obviously, you know, I, I was heavily involved with cyberpunk 2077. So take, take that. They showed it in 2018, they showed a demo that was not representative of the real game. Mm -hmm. Right. And they got crushed for that because they had performance issues and optimization issues. And clearly that game needed more time before it came out, you know, it needed, you know, more time before the release date that when they put it out. So we're in this state right now where, we have social media, we have streaming, we have obviously YouTube videos where there's just this demand to want to see these games and get them in a timely manner. But we're also still in a pandemic. Game development has been severely delayed because of it. And it's like, what's the right approach to do it? Like I said, I like the, I like the skate approach, but that's may not necessarily be the right approach. I look at obviously what Sony Santa Monica and Bethesda is doing right now. 
And I understand why they're doing that as well. You know, bringing this in the Xbox again, this is probably why you've not seen anything from Fable. This is probably why you've not seen anything from Perfect Dark or some of these other games that we know are coming, but are probably still a few years out. Because if they were to show you the current state of what they look like, they're going to get crushed for it. And they go, see, I knew it wasn't going to be this. I knew it was going to be that. But then they're going to say, but wait, you're not getting this game for three more years. So this is the current state of game development. It's not going to be in a polished state until probably, you know, three to four months before the actual release date, whatever that's going to be. So, you know, like I said, it's a damned if you do, damned if you don't scenario. So, so it'll be interesting to see where Skate goes with this and how it's received, uh, you know, by the time it actually comes out. Yeah, it is a really tough balancing act. And there's a lot of factors that go into how you show a game, when you show a game. And as I spend more time in the industry, spend more time talking to developers and publishers and people from the marketing side, um, there's a lot of tough conversations that happen behind the scenes as yeah. factoring in all of those pieces of that equation. Because like you said, yeah, Starfield, clearly it needed more time to get polished. Clearly people have some criticisms, criticisms of the performance. Um, and yeah, there's a lot of games that for a, just a broad audience, they don't really care about the development. Yeah. They, they don't really care what goes into that. They don't care about the stages when the reality is every game that comes out is a miracle. It's just a, it's just a it miracle is. that all it of really these pieces is. come together and the game actually works. And a lot of people don't understand that and don't really care to understand that. And so that's why I'm wondering if we can start having those conversations more frequently, as opposed to leaning into the megaton marketing where boom, here, when we show you gameplay, that is the final thing. Um, I'm wondering if that can, you know, normalize it a little bit more to the point where people understand the stages of development, what that looks like. So when we have these rollouts, when we see gameplay, it's not Starfield's trash because it's not 4K 60 FPS. Yeah. Like, because that's what some of these conversations boil Starfield down to, ignoring all of the other components of that game, the scale, the scope, everything they're trying to do. Like, it's not 60 FPS, so therefore it is a bad game. <laughs> And that's, no, that's a little unfair to everybody working on the project, I'd say. I, I agree. If you don't mind, can, can I address something that I just saw in the chat? Oh, sure. Because I think this is, goes into what you're saying about start having these conversations more. So a person in the chat is saying, I feel like the pandemic excuse is being used as a crutch now. So many businesses have been fully operational for months now. Again, this is where, and I have had these conversations with actual developers going in depth talking about how the pandemic has completely stifled their their entire workflow for for game development and i've said this a lot people like to be critical of it and because they're not understanding they've not had these conversations i'm telling you and this is coming firsthand every game you see every game you see that has been in development since 2020 has been delayed a good 18 to 24 months at a minimum Every single one of them. That's how much the pandemic has slowed things down. That's how much rem remote work and trying to change workflows and get schedules and get people the equipment they need in their homes. The check-in, check-out process of code, being able to QA things and test things and make sure it's right. All of that has been slowed to a crawl. And whether you believe it or not, because now you're seeing things are open, the, the, the results of what happened two years ago 
still are affecting us today. Why do you think 2022 has been such a light year, especially as we go into the back end of, of the holiday season for games? Why do you think you've seen so many games being pushed into 2023 and beyond? Why do you think even the games that were supposed to come out in 2021 were pushed into the first half of 2022? Because the pandemic has delayed game development. It Literally, I had a, a game developer at a prominent game studio tell me, Game development has probably been changed forever because we're not going to go 100% back into the studios. There's going to continue to be a remote component to that. And we have to learn and understand and adapt to that. Let's take Bungie as an example. Bungie has gone to a complete hybrid environment. Mm -hmm. Moving forward, it's happening. People are literally all over the world working on Destiny now. They're not all in Bellevue sitting in, in the studio. Will there be a studio presence? Of course there will. But you're also going to have key components of game development that are still going to be in a remote environment. So this is why I, I say, and this is why when you see a game delayed or you see them not showing off something right now, you have to be sympathetic to that. You just have to. You may not want to be, and you may want to complain on social media and harass developers and do all this other nonsense. But the truth of it is, the way we made, the way they made games prior to 2020 has completely changed mm -hmm. here in 2022 and beyond. And you need to understand that. You need to understand this is why Starfield is delayed. This is why you're not seeing Perfect Dark. This is why you're not seeing Fable. That's why Forza got delayed. This is why whenever the hell Spider-Man 2 was supposed to come out isn't going to hit that original target date. This is why God of War, you're seeing they're keeping it so close to the vest of when it's actually going to be released. You want to know why? Because they probably don't know. They probably have a target, which could be November or whatever. But what if it slips, right? Now you have people upset. You said it was coming in November, but now it's not coming until February 2023. That is a realistic possibility. And that is the ramifications of what the pandemic is. And people need to be more sympathetic to that. And they need to understand that. These developers are people too. They have lives too. They got bills to pay. They got families to take care of. They're doing the best they can do to make the things to entertain you. But yet we complain about it and we harass them over it because it's not coming when we expect it to because we're still thinking the old way. We got to start thinking new that these games that have been in middle of development since 2020 have been delayed. It's just the reality of it. So I know I went a little ranty on that, but it's like, when we talk about having these conversations and we talk about getting people to understand, you know, I, I have an opportunity here on camera in front of a microphone versus a tweet, which can be misinterpreted cert certain ways. Whereas I think directly saying it to people is like, look, you might think it's okay right now. Oh, oh, I can don't have to wear a mask. I can go back into the office and do all that. You have to look at the ramifications of the past couple of years. They are being affected today, whether you realize it or not. And that's just the reality of it, whether you like it or not. It's just the truth. Yeah. And I'm glad you bring that up. And again, one of the reasons I like having you on the show is we, we can have the more difficult, nuanced conversations about the realities, because to echo your point, I've had a lot of similar conversations with people in development talking about what COVID has done, how it's impacted the flow of work. Yeah. And like you said, it will it has changed development forever for a ton of it teams. Has. And it's not an excuse. I don't like when people say I'm tired of hearing the pandemic excuse. It's just it's just a reality. Again, like it, like it, you it, touched on, whether you want yeah. it to be or not, whether you care or not, it is the reality. And we just need to realize that video games, the development of video games doesn't have to be such high stakes all the time. It doesn't. 
It really doesn't. And and I want to say one more thing because I, I see this common uh, misconception coming in the chat as well. How is Sony able to put out banger after banger this year and Microsoft <laughs> can't? Here's the truth of this as well. Horizon Forbidden West was supposed to be a 2021 game. Ratchet and Clank was actually supposed to be closer to the launch of 2020. Returnal was supposed to be actually closer to the launch of 2020. Gran Turismo 7 was supposed to be a 2021 game. The pattern again, they were delayed. This is again why they are not telling you when God of War Ragnarok is coming out. It is clearly not hitting what they originally thought the date was going to be because if they knew the date they'd have told you this is again where microsoft made the mistake in hindsight of saying it with their chest 11 11 2022 they were that confident starfield was mm -hmm. going to come out clearly we're seeing game development optimization things they had to delay it this is why you're going to see less and less early release dates for games they're going to be way more hesitant to put release dates on. Again, let's bring it back to Cyberpunk. They delayed that thing three times and probably should have been delayed five times more. <laughs> you see my point? Uh-huh. This is the reality that we're in. So we can do the console war nonsense and argue about Sony's this or Microsoft's that. The reality is everybody's affected. Everybody. No matter your system preference, your favorite game that you want to play, anything that you're anticipating has been delayed. Saints Row, a game that's actually about to come out, was supposed to be 2021. We're not going to get it now until the fall of 2022. This is the point that I'm making. Nothing is hitting its original release date. And a majority of that has to do with the pandemic. Again, whether you like it or not, whether you want a console war about it or not, whether you want to go harass a developer about it or not, that is just the 100% truth. Yep, 100% agree. And that's, again, that's why I want people to have those conversations because so much of the, the conversation online right now is looking for someone to blame. You want yep. a, a target. This is the reason. Xbox is failing because this person isn't doing XYZ or this person isn't managing XYZ. Like the reality is as much as people don't want to hear it, it's, it's always, it's always more complicated than that. There's always so many factors that go into this. And again, like you touch on a lot of these conversations, I think boil down to the console war, boil down to us versus them. PlayStation is doing this. Why isn't Xbox doing this? Nintendo is doing this. Why isn't Xbox doing this? Blah, blah, blah. And back and forth. And so much of the, the nuance of the reality of development of the industry gets, gets pushed push to the side because they want the simple, easy, one or two word answer for what the cause of this problem in their lives really is. And oh, it's completely frustrating. Agree. No, again, sorry, sorry, I der sorry, I derailed. I just, no, no, just, appreciate it. Yeah. It's yeah. important because we're, a lot of the conversations right now are so negative about everything. Every little thing is, is doom and gloom. Every single thing is, this person is to blame. This person needs to be held accountable, blah, blah, blah. And again, I go back to the stakes of video game development. I see somebody in the chat here saying, why does the video game industry get special treatment? Other, other industries crunch, blah, blah, blah. Well, first, my, my stance is I really think the entire in workforce in the U.S. in particular, because that's what I can speak to, needs to be restructured completely. Fundamentally, I think it's broken. Agreed. That's a separate conversation. When it comes to video games, as I touched on, it's not high stakes. They're making entertainment for you. And we shouldn't be putting anyone in a position where they have to sacrifice their, their family time, their lives, their health, their mental well-being to make you entertainment. You realize how outlandish that sounds when you get online and you demand that person sacrifice 
for you, for your joy. It's it's wild. When you really boil some of those those points down, it is the most outlandish, ridiculous thing you can ever ask another human being to do, in my my eyes. I completely agree. And and the the thing that I will say again, just about the game delays and the and the entitlement and the impatience and all that, we all have a backlog. All of us have a backlog. <laughs> Go embrace it. Go play something that you swore you were going to play three years ago, but you didn't. Now's your time to go play it because we are in, I consider 2022 a gap year. We're in a gap year right now. Yes, we're saying the pandemic and all that now, but we will get back to workflows and things will quote unquote get caught up. And as we get into 2023 and 2024 and beyond, all these games that we've been anticipating are going to start coming out. And you're going to have so many new experiences to play. If if you don't want to do your backlog, Go check out indie games. There's this has been a golden age for double A and indie titles the past couple of years that you can go check out. Obviously, this is an Xbox show. If you're subscribed to Game Pass, boom, there's a ton of stuff in there that you can go check out as well. That's that's what excites me. That yeah, it we're it's it's a bummer right now that we don't necessarily have the games that we've been anticipating. But when those floodgates open, I honestly think we're going to be in, in for a big surprise of, of a lot of quality things that are going to be coming out, new experiences that we're going to be able to play, highly anticipated sequels, et cetera, on down the line. So, yeah, you know, we're in a slow period right now, but, you know, I think a year from now, we're going to have a completely different conversation about, you know, games that we can be anticipating and, you know, them getting ready to come out. Yeah, when we're looking at early 2023 in particular, we're getting to another situation. We thought Dying Light, Horizon, and Elden Ring dropping all together was, was stacked. It's looking like early 2023 is going to be even more outrageous in terms of the, the scheduling for all of these releases that got pushed out of this year. So yeah, again, there's, there's definitely stuff to play. I understand people's frustrations about wanting to play a certain game. And I, you know, I joked about it. Like when Elden Ring got delayed by a month, I was bummed. You know, I because you, you want to play the game, and when you have a date, you get you get your eyes set on that date. So I do agree. I think the days of getting a release date six months, a year out, are going to go away, and we're just going to get release dates two months out. Hey, guess what? You're playing this game in two months, and honestly, I think that's more exciting, and it'll give teams a little more leeway on how they market and message these games. Agreed. All right, I'm gonna get to some super chats here and we're gonna transition into Halo Infinite Co-op. So huge shout out to everyone joining us live. If you are digging the show, hit that like button, share it out. If you are listening on audio services, leave us a review if you're digging the show as well. Nick W with the super chat says, happy 4th of July, guys. I hope you both have a fantastic holiday weekend. That's the goal. That's that's the dream right now. Just having a chill extended weekend. <laughs> Hargi Chani says, happy 4th of July, gentlemen. Nice to see you in person at the showcase, parents. Gonna meet Hargi. IRL. Um, and then Hargi, another one. Paris is on point on how the pandemic has affected dev. Check-ins are slower, equipment slash chip shortages, etc. Hard to explain unless you understand development. Agreed. Yep, agreed. agreed. All right. Let's do this. Halo. Halo. <laughs> Again, I've, I've joked about this before. I don't really like talking about Halo in recent months because the conversations have been uh, not the most optimistic, no, not the most glowing. But this week, we did get a nice little nugget of exciting, positive news surrounding Halo Infinite. And there was a blog post that detailed when people can start playing the, the co-op for Halo Infinite and all of the features that have been confirmed for that. So real quick, I'm going to break down what's coming. 
Starting on July 11th, players can play Halo Infinite co-op through the Halo Insider program. Uh, we got some details on how this is going to work. So all progression across all players is your, tied to your account. So any progress you make while playing in co-op, you get to keep. They also confirmed that crossplay is going to work between Xbox, PC, and Xbox Cloud Gaming, which is exciting. If you're someone who loves the Master Chief Collection, like myself, uh, you'll be you're bummed that we couldn't play crossplay between some of the games on Xbox and console. So that was a really big deal for me, being able to play with people who are the the PC purists, and you know people like myself are the console heathens who just want the the simple console experience. We can join forces. We can play Halo together. Uh, they have also talked about the restrictions for distance, and they have confirmed that there will be a 1,000 foot tether for players that keeps them in a in a certain range. So if you're at 800 feet, you'll get a warning saying you're gonna be outside of that. And then if you cross 1000, you're dead. You're dead and you respawn closer. Uh, these are also gonna run on dedicated servers as well. So it won't be tied to a host, it will be a dedicated server. So the connection for everything should be really solid. So Paris, with all of those details, with everything we know is coming, how are you feeling about the, uh, the co-op? Are you, are you diving back in when that launches? I'm of two minds of it um I'm, I'm excited for it i'm i'm definitely looking forward to to jumping in and uh doing four player co-op legendary and and run through that story again um i think everything that they're talking about as far as the dedicated servers you know keeping everybody within a certain range but it seems generous enough all positives there um you know i've i've said before when when i reviewed halo infinite I originally, before launch, thought, that's eh, fine. It co-op will come. It, I don't need it at launch. It'll be fine. Halfway through that campaign, seeing the way that Zeta Halo was set up, I go, I, I need campaign. <laughs> I, like, I, I thought it halfway through the review, and I, I said it then. Um, you know, we, we had the, the great opportunity on XCast to have Joe Staten on, and we talked to him a few weeks ago, and I, I echoed that again, that not having that feature at launch just felt like, something very important was missing from this game and and it was that co-op experience so yes i'm excited for it to come yes i'm going to play it with my friends do it on legendary my second part to this is is it too little too late that would be my only thing i think we may have reached the point with halo infinite and i hope i'm wrong trust me when i tell you i hope i'm wrong where they've gone so long without compelling content to keep people engaged both on the on the campaign side and on the multiplayer side that yeah we're finally getting campaign co-op now yeah we're going to get forge we know additional maps you know the rumored new mode coming from certain certain affinity mm -hmm. is there going to be apathy for halo infinite by the time all this stuff comes out like taking it back to our previous conversation about pandemic game delays the whole thing here's the truth and i said this a few months ago halo infinite probably sh still shouldn't be out probably should probably should be coming out in november this year they probably should have delayed it two years and yeah they would have caught heat for it yeah it would have been a bummer but if that game c comes out november 2022 with that campaign with co-op with forge a bunch of maps you know already in, in, in you know in the back catalog various game modes to play a more streamlined battle pass you know uh when i talked to joe staten for people that heard that he kind of hinted at old maps coming back as well. Maybe you had mm -hmm. the legacy maps there ready to go where you had those robust, robust options available to you to play, to keep people entertained when the seasons are coming. Instead of them being six months, 
they're the standard three months at a time. So you so you have this nice healthy rotation of things coming in, new experiences, things to do. Um, I think that would have played a lot better because I think the bones of what Halo Infinite is is good. I I like it. I the, the weapons feel great. I thought the story was good. I had fun with it. I think playing something like Last Man Standing as an example had a lot of fun doing that. The problem is the lack of content that Halo Infinite has had for now basically almost a calendar year. Whereas I think when we talk about there's so many other games to play, there's so many other things to do. I wonder, we clearly see it population-wise. People have gone on to play other things. And I don't know if we're going to talk about Outriders, but that's another example where we've gone on to play other things. And now you bring this great content to me, you know, almost a year later. Is it too little too late? That That's the question that I have. I'm not saying it, Halo Infinite is doomed and it's never going to be anything, because I, I hope it is. But I'm just looking at the current state of gaming the gaming landscape and with so many other options of things to do and play that may not necessarily have been the case 10 years ago but where we are now i just wonder if getting this co-op now then getting forge and potentially getting other things to do almost a year after you've launched the game is that going to be enough to bring people back i just simply don't know yeah, it's it's a really interesting conversation to have. And I know uh, there's a lot of doom and gloom negativity. And that's, again, just for the people before people get too riled up here. That's not what this conversation is designed designed to be. I think you can have hard conversations that are constructive. And that's always my goal. And I'm in the same camp. I was very vocal pre-launch of Halo Infinite when they started talking about key features like co-op and Forge being delayed. Um and I was vocal. I said that it should be delayed. You should not be shipping Halo Infinite without co-op. And I know at the time people thought that was going to be three months and okay, you know, right. they're making right. making the hard decision. And I know those were hard decisions. I'm not trying to downplay the reality of it and the, and the timeline because I don't have all of the details of what happened behind the scenes. But I think at this point in time, it's safe to say the wrong decisions were made in a lot of ways. And I have to say I'm disappointed in Xbox Game Studios because I wanted Halo Infinite to be the kickoff of kind of what we can expect from the future of their titles and what we can expect for their their roadmap maps and how they launch games and they launched a free to play games as a service title that quite frankly did not have a roadmap it did not have content lined up and knowing the weight of Halo knowing the demands looking at Sea of Thieves looking at Gears 5 looking at Fortnite you have Unlimited examples of successful titles that have had a games as a service, you know, launch. And I know stuff like Gears 5 and Sea of Thieves got kind of panned at launch for their content, for how they handled certain things. But what's the most frustrating thing for me is I feel like Microsoft and those teams didn't learn from that. Like, did they just like Sea of Thieves launched? It wasn't what people wanted, but because it became hyper successful two years after launch, that's what they're hoping for Halo Infinite. And that's where I start to look at some of the decisions being made and have questions because yeah, yeah. it's just clear, it's clear to me that the right decisions were not made with Halo Infinite. I agree. And, and the thing, the reason like I, I've seen in the chat people doing like you brought up Sea of Thieves, a great example. No Man's Sky, you know, another example of a game mm -hmm. that Final Fantasy 14 is another one where it didn't launch in a great state. They stayed dedicated to it a few years later. It's, it's in a great place. And you saw people coming back. That's fine. And, yeah. and that's obviously is that's what I'm saying. I'm not saying this is complete doom and gloom. Exactly. That it can happen. Of course it can happen. We have precedent for it happening. 
My issue is, and this is something, you know, if anyone's been following my content, I was banging the table even before Halo Infinite came out. I go, it can't just be okay. It needs to be great. This is your flagship. This is coming off a disappointing Halo 5. You were originally launching the Series X and the S with this game. Th there is no Xbox today without Halo Combat Evolved. That's just the truth. So when you're coming off a disappointing Halo 5, you've taken, what was it, six years at that point to now come out with Infinite, to then launch it in an incomplete state is going to be a disappointment to a lot of people. And then we're, we have the slow drip feed of content where we're not quote unquote being satisfied with this, this free to play multiplayer that's supposed to have this robust battle pass and all these maps and modes and things that we're, we were expecting. And then again, the co-op function, the forge, these are things that you just figured were standards with the halo experience. At this point, we weren't getting those at launch. We originally thought it was three months. Okay, fine. We can be patient. Now we're looking closer to a year for getting these things. That's not acceptable. It's just not. And that's why I'm saying, do, will there be apathy towards the Halo franchise? Because of that, we will see. Again, I suggest, and I'm not trying to shamelessly plug, but go look at the interview we did with Joe Staten. I asked these very same questions that I'm saying right now, and he didn't have answers because he doesn't know. They don't know. This is a very interesting time for for halo and they're working their hardest to try and get it and trust me i am rooting for them i want halo to be great let's get that crystal clear but i'm just looking at the reality of where halo currently is and can it get back to those glory days that we had during like the halo halo 2 halo 3 reach air i i simply don't know yeah, and I think what adds to the frustrations for a lot of people who are really deep in the Halo community, because for me right now, I'm just at the point where I'm not playing Halo. There's, it's, right. I'm having way more fun playing as Master Chief and Fall Guys and Fortnite, quite honestly, than I am with Halo Infinite. But I think where the frustrations lie for a lot of folks is the fact that when Halo Infinite shipped out of the gate, what was there, even though it was objectively very limited, was so good. The foundation mm -hmm. of Halo Infinite, so tight feels great. Everything that you love about Halo has been refined and the core experience in terms of gameplay for Halo Infinite is fantastic. So having that launch and then having nothing to back that up, it I think it just compounds a lot of the issues because it's not that it's not like a Battlefield 2042 where fundamentally it came out of the gate and there were red flags, glaring issues, broken balance, broken servers like Battlefield 2042 in in a lot of ways was a broken game. Halo Infinite was not a broken game. It launched in a great state, but it's just, there hasn't been a lot of reasons for people to keep playing, I think. And if, again, for me and a lot of people, we can just move on. There's plenty of stuff to play. It's not ruining my life. It's not a, a critical flaw in my reality. But I think for the people who love Halo and want a reason to play Halo every single day, they just don't have it. They really don't have it. Great. So I am curious to see because I will be diving back in I have a couple buddies who, like you, they were playing that campaign. And at a certain point, they're like, I just want to wait till co-op. Like, I don't even want to finish this. I just want to wait and co-op. I remember certain moments where I was playing and I was bombing down the hill in a warthog, stoked, excited, and then just thinking to myself, man, why aren't my buddies in this warthog with me? What the hell? And so again, I'm excited to dive back in. But I am a little disappointed that there isn't more integration with the multiplayer component of Halo, it is just gonna be the four chiefs, 
which again, not a huge deal. I was just kind of hoping with, with this delay, we'd get some kind of exciting features or evolution of the co-op and multiplayer, but it doesn't really seem like that's the case. Does that bum you out? Were you Because what I wanted to see is they have the, the narrative beats of all of these Spartans in this world and there's the narrative component of multiplayer. Why can't we use our multiplayer Spartan in the co-op? I get it because it it breaks the story immersion doing that, but at the same time, let's get time, weird with it. it. Come on, I, I I agree, but I I'm okay with it. It 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 doesn't take away from the fact that I can go in with three of my buddies and we can we can attack these objectives, you know, in strategic ways. That that's what excites me. Like I think about, and this isn't really a spoiler, um, the one boss battle that you have with the two brutes, um, over by that down pelican. I'm telling you right now, I already have the strat in, in place <laughs> to, to take them both out with four people. And, uh -oh. and that's what excites me, being able to do that, being able to, you know, attack an objective where I'm in a scorpion, another buddy's on a mongoose, another one's up in a pelican, and when maybe one's in a rocket warthog or something, you know what I mean? Where we can use different vehicles, different ways that we can strategize out. All right, you're going to take this weapon in. I'm going to take this weapon in. You're going to attack this this choke point i'm going to go to this one you'll distract you know like there's a lot of strategic things that you'll be able to do co-op that excites me so yeah would i love to have my custom spartan be in the game instead of it just being chief i get it i get it yeah that that would be great to have but i also understand from a story standpoint this is about chief and well i'll just say about chief yeah <laughs> and uh <laughs> You know, I, I get it. I get it. And that maybe it's a networking nightmare to try and get that working. Yeah, not Anyways, not a deal breaker. Yeah. But again, like when we talk about the canon, like what's less canon? A chief and three weird dudes or four chiefs? Like right. at a certain point, it's not canon anyway. And let's just have a little fun with it. But like you touch on the, the moments in Halo Infinite, because that campaign is great. I loved that campaign. I know people had criticisms of the lack of biome diversity, and I agree. I would have liked to see more areas. But that being said, the gameplay was so good. Grappling and grabbing canisters and throwing canisters at enemies never got old once. I did that probably 500 times in the campaign, and every single time I just had a big smile on my face. And I think that's a testament to where 343 got it right with Halo Infinite. And when we talk about those moments where you imagine being pinned down in a firefight, you, you got a hunter on you, you're getting shot. And then over the horizon, you see your buddies bombing on the warthog to come rescue you. You, you grapple on and you get in the back of the warthog and you drive off into the sunset. Like those kind of moments, we're all imagining them. We're all ready to play them. And I think once that hits, it's going to be a nice resurgence for that campaign. And for the folks who, you know, grew up playing co-op like myself, who, you know, I finished it. I enjoyed it, but I know a lot of people who didn't because there was no co-op. So hopefully for them, they can finally see the story through because I do think it sets a great foundation for the future of Halo story as well. I did really enjoy the narrative beats of this campaign. Yeah, same. Let's go. Co-op, baby. Finally coming to Insiders um, so you can at least test it soon. I'm hoping the official release of it is not much further than that test, but we'll see. We just have to stay tuned. All right, I'm gonna get to some super chats here. Quick shout out to the 224 people rocking with us on this beautiful Saturday. Appreciate you hanging out. If you're digging the show, hit that like button. Um, Hargeet, the legend. If you are in the live chat right now, this dude is just drop making it rain codes. He's dropped a code for Game Pass Ultimate, three months, Resident Evil 7, Resident Evil 3. Just absolutely ridiculously generous. Okay, 
appreciate everything you do. Um, there's a super chat here from humdrumdog0211 who says, Miles, watch the Phantom Dust video I tagged you in ASAP. Uh-oh, is there, am I missing some breaking Phantom Dust news? Because you know that's my shtick, that's my gimmick, Phantom Dust. And so if I'm not in the in with Phantom Dust, I feel like I failed. I'm not going to watch it right now live on the show, but I appreciate you tagging me. Uh, one more from Hargeet. Uh, Halo campaign felt empty without co-op. Never went through a Halo campaign first time solo. Always co-op. Hate that it came out with no co-op. Hashtag delay Halo. That's, I was very vocal. Again, this is just my personal bias, my personal preference for playing Halo, but I'm the same way. Every single time a Halo has come out, first playthrough has always been co-op. So this was the first time for me as well where I played through a campaign solo for Halo. And it was still great. I loved it, but it was not the same. It did not reach the same soaring heights. All right, let's talk about Xbox in Japan because this is a, an ongoing developing conversation. And I've reported on this on Windows Central. I did a article talking about the history of Xbox in Japan because a narrative I see in modern day is that Xbox doesn't care about Japan and Japan doesn't care about Xbox, blah, blah, blah. But the reality is when you look at the launch of the original Xbox, when you look at that transition from the Xbox to the Xbox 360, there is data that shows Microsoft not only invested heavily in Japanese developed games and the Japanese market, but they had huge growth. They had a four times growth from the OG Xbox One launch to the Xbox 360 and the OG launch as much as it wasn't like on the level of PlayStation or Nintendo, it wasn't anything to just skirt skirt away either. They had a legitimate great start. And then in the end of the 360 into the Xbox One generation, those investments, that support pretty much stopped, dwindled to next to nothing. They focused on the Western audience and there was a noticeable, a, a direct correlation between their lack of investments in Japan to the lack of investments from Japanese audiences with the Xbox platform. So it's been a roller coaster. Been a roller coaster. We've seen stuff like Final Fantasy VII remake infamously come to every single other platform except for Xbox. There are a lot of examples where Japanese developed games just don't consider the Japan or don't consider the Xbox platform viable. And I've been vocal about this topic. And at the Xbox and Bethesda game showcase this year, there was a, a segment that was really powerful and really important for me. And that's when Phil Spencer came out and specifically addressed the company's focus on. Japanese developed titles. We had the Wolong segment, we had Kojima come out, and they are really trying to tell you that they are working on it, they are investing in it, and that is important because you can't just say you're doing it, you have to tangibly show, and they showed us what they're doing to fix those gaps. So Paris, how are you feeling about the, the current state of Xbox in Japan and the possibilities for the future? Because I see people who say there's no world where Xbox can ever compete on the level of PlayStation and Nintendo in Japan. And do you think that's true? Or do you think there is a reality where they can at least have a fair shake in that market? Yeah, it, it's twofold. Can they compete on the same level as Nintendo and, and PlayStation in Japan? No. Can they get to a reasonable state in Japan? Yes. We, we are starting to see that now, I think. You you talk about what Phil came out and, and, and said during the showcase. I think them getting Persona on on the platform is is huge for them. Obviously, the collaboration with Hideo Kojima 
doing this unique cloud game is, is going to be huge for them on various levels. But I think it shows a commitment. Obviously, you look in Game Pass, you see all these Sega games in there, et cetera. They're getting more Japanese content into the Xbox ecosystem. You see more of a focus on JRPGs in the Xbox ecosystem. We're obviously seeing the sales numbers of, of hardware in Japan, more specifically the Series S, is having an impact in Japan. It, it is obviously not going to happen overnight. We've, we've obviously been having these same conversations about Xbox in Japan literally since its inception, but um, it has gotten better in, in the past few years. I think uh, the, them having a service like Game Pass, them having cloud gaming, making it more convenient to be able to play Xbox games on a mobile device is going to help in Japan. So it's happening now we've obviously seen other instances here like with square enix and the final fantasy stuff still not coming to xbox um you know i know that there's a big bummer to a lot mm -hmm. of people um but but that's the thing they have to change the narrative about japanese games on on the xbox i think now having um tango um through bethesda as as a part of of xbox and be able to make japanese centric games that are literally day one on game pass you know first party studio uh titles coming to the xbox platform will help i think if they continue to try and partner up with some of these maybe smaller studios is the wrong word but you get more more independent japanese studios that aren't necessarily tied to a big publisher can help get those games on your platform show the diversity of what japanese titles look like which is going to appeal not only to the japanese audience but you're even going to see on the western front more people um you know hey let me give this a try let me try this out this is something that i've not, not seen before i think just that overall strategy is good, what's going to help them uh, make an, an impact in the japanese market but you know to the original question do i think they'll ever be as big as nintendo in, in Japan? No, I don't. But yeah. I think they can have a solid footprint in Japan. That makes sense. And like I said, over the past few years, we're definitely headed in the right direction. Yeah, there's this obsession again. A lot of this boils down to the console war conversations, but directly comparing. And I think for Xbox, it's not necessarily about being as big as PlayStation or Nintendo in Japan, but it is about having a viable, sustainable well-regarded platform in the market. And I think they, in the last several years, they've been taking a lot of steps to do that. Uh, you touched on cool indies, the Uden Chronicles, like that, having both of those titles launch in a game pass, that is a cool, noteworthy title to have on your platform, putting all of the Final Fantasies, um, putting all of the Yakuza games in game pass to really, you know, let the Japanese market know that they, they care about those games and they, they have them on the platform and they want to leverage their subscription service to offer those. I think that goes a long way as well. But like you said, it, it takes a lot of time to correct it. And there was a long stretch like objectively there was a long stretch where xbox was not investing early original xbox we had really cool exclusives we had a from software did otagi we had some dead or alive collaborations and dead or alive is huge not necessarily in the u.s per se but in japan dead or alive is huge so there was a ton of energy and investment early on because of dead or alive if you look at the correlation between people who bought an xbox 360 and who bought dead or alive 4 it is a huge percentage a humongous percentage and so they they've been lacking that and they've been doing a lot in recent years to correct that and i'm, I'm hopeful that it gets to a point where xbox you know a lot of these publishers, developers who look at Xbox and say, I'm not going to bother doing a port. We had Mega, Mega Man Battle Network, that collection, most recently. That skipped Xbox. 
And a lot of people are like very mad because what's weird about that is every single other Mega Man collection is on Xbox. And so Capcom, who is a big publisher, looked at the Xbox market and said, I, it's like not even worth bringing it to that platform is right. what it seems like. And right. I've seen people say, oh, no, it's just it's PlayStation paying Capcom. PlayStation is paying Capcom to skip Xbox. No, I'm sorry, not in this case. There is no way that PlayStation is giving Capcom any money to keep a port of a super hyper obscure collection of Mega Man Game Boy Advance games from the Xbox platform. That's not that's not the reality. I see that a lot. We Final Fantasy 7, yes, I'm sure there's exclusivity deals going on there, but Mega Man Battle Network Legacy Collection that's not that's not one that's getting paid for. I'm sorry. I I, I talk about Legend of Mana as well. Um, that's one that I want to see on Xbox because it's everywhere else. It's on every single other platform except for Xbox. It's on mobile. It's 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 literally everywhere. And I've seen people say, "Oh yeah, PlayStation's paying to keep that off Xbox." No, I'm sorry, they're not. As much as I love that game, it is just obscure, and I'm sure the teams are unsure of the investment in in a port and releasing a port. And that's just the reality. And I see people say, well, it's easy to port. It's cheap to port. And sure, in the grand scheme of things, when you compare that to the budget of developing an entire game, yeah, and it is. But it goes to show you that with all of those factors, even with it being easier and cheaper to port than ever, there are still publishers and developers saying, eh, I'm not going to do an Xbox version. And that's unfortunately, you know, not a good place to be. And it's not that these teams hate xbox fans or hate the xbox platform it's xbox for a long time wasn't the best place to release japanese developed games it just unfortunately yeah, wasn't. it just it just wasn't i i you know there's obviously was the disappointment of of scalebound getting canceled and you know whatever drama happened there with platinum games but you know I, i'll take you back first, first of all like you talk about they kind of abandoned support you know during the mid-2000s because you know we had blue dragon we had lost odyssey those those mm -hmm. japanese-centric games that maybe if they continued that momentum they could have built up uh you know more of a presence you know over the past 10 or 15 years but they obviously ab abandoned that i'm taking all the way back and and i even said this to phil spencer himself true fantasy online go back google it it was coming yes from a yes five it was a <laughs> japanese game it was it was basically an MMORPG in the early 2000s. I guess this would have been around 05 or something, because I want to say this was original Xbox. I don't even think it was 360. Um, I wanted that game so bad. You'd be like a witch, and you'd fly around with a broom, all this stuff, and that game wound up getting canceled and just never came back. But it's like even in those early days, that was would have been such an aggressive move for that time to have that type of game that would have been a japanese game on their system mm -hmm. you can't tell me the japanese audience wouldn't have embraced that they absolutely would have that would have been cutting edge for its time to come out you know it'd obviously be a lot more common now but that's kind of the thing when you think about the early days in japan and xbox you never gave them anything really compelling to want to say yep i i, I want to buy your system and play games on your system because the other options were available on the known entities which was nintendo uh and playstation and they continued to be i i, I there's here we are what xbox is now almost 21 years old outside of blue dragon and lost odyssey tell me a japanese game that was super compelling to a japanese audience that they would embrace i, I can't tell you one other than those two games that actually made it to launch and and people got their hands on it and that's the problem so like you know i mentioned tango before they need to obviously with their own internal Xbox game studios have 
games that cater towards a Japanese audience, but they got to make these partnerships with some more Japanese studios. I think the Kojima thing is a right is a step in the right direction. I actually think the Kojima thing, I don't know if we want to jump into that later, but there's a bigger aspect to that. But I think just as for this topic of embracing Japan, I think having that name, making a game for that system makes a lot of sense for them. And I think that again, is going to help them, you know, you know, cement, you know, their, 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 uh, their footprint for lack of a better term in, in Japan. Well, I am glad you brought that up. That is a beautiful segue into the next segment of this show. Uh, before we dive into that, Basically, we're going to be touching on a couple of factors that I think could potentially help Xbox in Japan. Um, but before we dive into that, let me catch up on all these super chats here. Huge shout out to everyone showing their support, tuning in, and having a good time on Xbox Chatterdays. Um, Hargeet says, also wish they'd tell us more of the roadmap for Halo. When, if, if, when, slash, if campaign content might be coming, etc. Yeah, they, I'm hoping... I will knock on wood 5,000 times for this. I'm hoping that after season two, we have a better, clearer picture of seasons, roadmaps, and I would love them to start 2023 with a the stereotypical, here's what you can expect each quarter from Halo Infinite. I'm, I, I want it so bad. I, I don't know that we'll get it, but I want it so bad. Um, Humdrog says, the, fa- the creator of Phantom Dust was interviewed. Please watch and share. I'll, I'll be watching. Don't you worry. Uh, Shattered Youth. After Modern Warfare 2 and other 22-23 Game Pass games releasing, Halo Infinite will be an afterthought. The count of people returning to the game will be low. I know you're not, you're not alone. It's going to be, again, I'm, I'm not in the camp that Halo's doomed, can never come back, blah, blah, blah. It's just going to be an uphill battle, unfortunately, mm-hmm. to get people back. Especially if something like Modern Warfare comes out and crushes. Like, that game comes out and he's like, this is the first-person shooter to play. Like, it's hard. Because we don't know. Like, there are so many times where a game comes out and just dominates that genre for an extended period of time. Fortnite, prime example. Battle Royale just dominated the Battle Royale genre for an extended period of time. We don't know that there's not going to be a game that comes like that and people are just like, eh, Halo, whatever. And I'm sh- there will be fans. It's not going to completely go away. But to make it as big as everyone wanted it to be, I, it's just going to be an uphill battle. Benny Tech says, so overjoyed that Persona is coming to Xbox. I was at the in-person showcase in Melbourne and I was screaming, yes, throughout the reveal. Yeah, Persona was huge. Love seeing that on Xbox. Yudani, she's a 10, but always begs for Scalebound in chat. Pour one out. Pour one out to Scalebound, y'all. I know I always talk about Phantom Dust coming back, all these obscure things coming back. I don't know that we'll, again, I'm not going to say never in this industry because who knows, but I really don't think Scalebound's coming back. Uh, Wolf Assassin says, is it wrong? I want Microsoft to repeat E3 2018's acquisition spree, but with Japanese devs, Platinum, Asobo, Koei Tecmo, Team Ninja, Level 5, etc. All right. That kind of also segues into this topic as well. So you mentioned Hideo Kojima. You mentioned the possibilities of Kojima working with Xbox. And for people who don't know, as part of the Xbox and Bethesda game showcase, one segment was... Hideo coming out and saying, hey, I'm working on an Xbox game. No details. Uh, I'm excited to make it. It's a game I've always wanted to make. Stay tuned. And that was a, a cool segment and a moment where this creator, who there were people in the community who said would never collaborate with Xbox in any world, now is making an Xbox exclusive game. So that is really exciting. And I know not everyone loves all of Kojima's works, but regardless of where you stand on his projects, you can't 
understate what the man has done for the industry and how highly regarded he is uh, from Western devs and Japanese devs as well. So you touched on this briefly, but do you think that Kojima's involvement with an Xbox project has any possibility of getting more Japanese developers to either get on board with Xbox or at least consider having the conversations? Yeah, it absolutely does because of who he is and what his legacy is in the industry. I, I do think other Japanese developers would see that and go, wow, if Kojima is willing to work with Xbox and bring a game to their platform, maybe we should consider it too. I'm sure there will be financial details that would have to be involved in all of this to make that happen, but that's just a part of business. But the point is, I think getting that person to be a part of, to basically make an Xbox game changes perceptions coming out of Japan for other developers to where they can at least consider it. And obviously, you know, Microsoft would have to compensate them, whatever the partnership would look like. I think whatever happened with, with the platinum would, would have to be addressed um, because I'm sure, you know, we, we know this industry is small word, word goes around. So whoever's to blame for that, I, I don't know, but yeah, I, I think Kojima uh, being making a game for Xbox is going to entice other Japanese developers to want to bring a game there too. Now, if you don't mind, I transition to what I think the bigger part of this is with Kojima joining is Kojima making a cloud game, a game that cannot happen on local hardware. It needs to take advantage of Azure and, and, and the cloud infrastructure that Xbox has put in place. I think this is huge because what this is going to do is, again, if Kojima makes, because I think, you know, going through the whole rumor mirror, originally it sounds like Kojima, whatever this is, he was going to do it with Google with Stadia, right? Yeah. Obviously, Google bailed on first-party content. Obviously, he's, he's gone over the Xbox to do this now. I think this is huge for the future, personally, because if Kojima is able, whether you like Kojima games or not, because I honestly, I'm not a huge, big fan, but I understand his importance in the industry. But if he makes a, a game that cannot be replicated on local hardware, that's in the cloud, that is a brand new experience that people are receptive to. Again, we talk about Japanese developers. I think you're going to just see developers as a whole give cloud, give the whole Azure cloud infrastructure a second look and maybe want to, you know, imitation is the best form of flattery, right? Where you're going to see other developers now want to try to make these cloud centric games give us unique experiences taking advantage of that extra horsepower that you're not going to have on local hardware to basically bring in assets do do various things that you just simply can't do today that's the exciting thing for me we actually have an example of this right now flight simulator flight simulator is not possible possible without azure right now you're literally cloning the entire planet because it's all happening up there and then it's being streamed down to your local hardware to do. We obviously already have examples of cloud gaming. People can do that stuff. Samsung just came out with the gaming hub um, as an example. The Xbox app is going to be on that. That's one aspect of it. I'm talking about creating brand new gaming experiences. You cannot play this game if it isn't for the extra horsepower of the cloud, being able to do something that just cannot be done on local hardware. And I keep saying that because that's the whole point. You're, you're creating something brand new. That's what is, is exciting to me if he pulls this off and he basically would become the face of that because he would be the first one that big AAA developer that's making a game that can only happen due to, due to the cloud. I'm excited for that. So I, I want to see that. Yeah, that was a big part of the messaging when Kojima came out at the Xbox showcase is that this is a game he's always wanted to make 
and basically said that Xbox is enabling him an opportunity to do it, an opportunity that he wouldn't have otherwise. So I am really excited to see what that ends up being. And I agree. I think if Kojima comes out, if Kojima comes out with a game that is unlike anything else and has a glowing experience with Microsoft and can say that, hey, like I literally couldn't do this anywhere else. I think that is going to get a lot of people like you touch on looking at Xbox to see how they can enable games because quite frankly, that's why they, that's why we should be excited about Xbox game studios and Microsoft because they have just resources that no one else has. No one else can have the, the, the amount of resources that Microsoft has in game development is it's unmatched. And again, they could just sit on that. They could use all that wealth and, you know, just stay complacent, but to hear that they're trying to use those resources to push the industry forward and, and create, you know, innovative video game experiences. That's what I want to hear. And, and Kojima, as much as people, you know, not everyone loves him. The man is wild. The man will take some risks in gaming. And if, if Microsoft is going to pay for some risky, cool ideas, let's go. Kojima was the guy who made a weird vampire hunting game cartridge that had a solar panel in it. And the solar component was tied into the gameplay. Like that is where this man's brain is at. So when I hear that Kojima is trying to factor in cloud cloud ideas and basically leverage interactive media in a in a game that could potentially be in the horror genre, let's go. Like <laughs> anything's possible with Kojima. I think that's why the project is so exciting. And for Xbox, this could be a huge potential for again not only Japanese developers but a lot of developers to look at publishing and say, all right, I want to work with Microsoft. I have this idea. I've had this idea. Maybe they can help me make it happen. And so I think that's where Kojima can really grow Xbox publishing. Agreed. One other question. This Again, I see Wolf joking about that. I wasn't uh, ignoring your super chat. Where it was a part of this next segment here. Um, should acquisitions be a, a factor in how Microsoft could potentially establish itself in Japan as well? Do you think yes. there are any target teams that they should focus on? Yes and no. Um, and, and I've talked about this over the past few months since, since the Activision acquisition. We are getting dangerously close to a slippery slope of acquiring an entire publishers, taking an entire publisher off the board, so to speak. Um, I don't know how good that is for the industry long term. Uh, we're, we're clearly seeing even with this Activision deal that they're going to keep call of duty everywhere you know even mm -hmm. um you, you know to a lesser extent playstation acquiring bungie Destiny's still going to be everywhere their future ips are still going to be everywhere um i think on an individual basis acquiring a potential studio like double fine i think being acquired by microsoft is good for double fine because i think it, it gives them more resources they don't have to worry about always trying to acquire funding they just get to go make great games i think we're clearly seeing with obsidian that was honestly, if I can just pause on that for a second, that will wind up being the most important acquisition Microsoft has made in their 21 year history. I'm telling you this right now, you're already starting to see it with some of the unique games that they're coming out with. You know, Grounded is about to officially come out. What's the other one, the Para, the one they just announced? Oh, Pentiment. Pentiment, thank you. Yeah. That one, obviously we know Avowed's coming out. There will be a point in time there is going to be a fallout new vegas 2 at some point we're getting to outer worlds 2 that has been such a talented studio that was clearly lacking that big publisher being able to fund all of their ideas they got that now so i think on that level 
Absolutely. I, I, I think when you talk Japan acquisitions, there could be some studios out there, it could be acquired, that's going to help. I think even to a lesser extent, Tango, like I keep bringing up a part of Bethesda, this is going to allow them to stretch their legs and their creative freedom to make whatever the hell they want. I don't want to see Microsoft acquire Sega, as an example, or Capcom. I don't think we need that anymore. I really don't. I want them to stay who they are and continue to basically be a competitor in, in this space. Because if we consolidate publishers too much, I just don't think that's good for an industry. I, I don't. I think the Bethesda one made sense to me. But when we got to Activision, I was like, uh, I don't know. And then if, if let's just say PlayStation acquired Capcom or Square, you know, Square Enix was a big rumor with them. I, I, I don't know we're, we're getting dangerously close to you know monopolizing the industry in that way and i don't know if we just need like two or three big power brokers as far as publishers go in the industry i i think having a diverse lineup of publishers and obviously the studios that would be a part of them keeps the competitive edge in the industry which we need obviously um so to answer your question yeah, I think there could be a few individual studio acquisitions that would make sense in Japan, but no, I hope they do not acquire a Sega or a Capcom or a Square. As an example, I I, I think that's too much personally. It's those those are conversations that are definitely worth having because as we look at you know Activision for example, pre you know Activision was the big bad publisher scooping up a lot of other publishers, and that example did not end up well like that was not that did not benefit a lot of those those teams and those projects and those ip quite frankly mm -hmm. and so i understand a lot of those concerns and criticisms so when i think about japan when i think about xbox i really am excited to see what they do with their publishing division because i think as exciting as acquisitions are and they, they really could be they could get a couple really talented japanese studios to bolster that and make sure that they consistently have a flow. But again, if you have a platform and a publishing division that is compelling, you're going to have people come to you. If, if Xbox publishing puts out titles that these teams come out and say, this is a dream project of mine. I couldn't do this elsewhere. It comes out. The game is fantastic. You will have developers lining up to, to work on that. I think that ultimately is a much better place to be because then again, like you said, it'll breed this competition where, you know, PlayStation is going to see all these big teams working with Xbox and they're going to say, all right, what's Xbox giving you? And then Xbox or PlayStation is going to try to say, okay, well, we'll try to give you a bigger bag of money for your next project. And we're going to see, you know, as much as people fight about exclusives, really what it comes down to is an exclusives worth is determined by the end project, the end product and what that means, not necessarily where you can play it. And I'm only interested in exclusives if it means that that team is able to do something they couldn't do before, or if the quality of the game is something they couldn't do before. Because again, if you have a big bag of money and you want to use it to make a good game, I'll support it. I'll buy it. I will champion it. But if you have, if you have a ton of money and you just want to scoop up exclusivity so someone else can't play it to force people to buy it on your platform, not the most interesting business model. So again, acquisitions are exciting, but I hope Xbox builds a platform that publishers want to work with them because that is a much healthier place to be. Agreed. All right. Let's talk about the Xbox handheld Paris because that is a, a boiling, blistering conversation in recent months following the continued success of the Switch. The, the continued success of the Switch, the Steam Deck, those are out in the market. Those are doing well. People are excited about it. I remember installing Sea of Thieves on my Steam Deck for the first time. And I immediately thought to myself, Damn, I want an Xbox handheld so bad. 
because again, I have a decent library on Steam, but it's nothing compared to my Xbox library. And we're seeing Xbox lean into cloud gaming. We're seeing Xbox come to your TVs, your phones, a lot of different options to play Xbox games, but they're not native. And cloud gaming is exciting and it is definitely the future, but there are areas where it's it's just not viable right now and it won't be viable for quite some time. So cloud gaming is cool for a lot of areas, but not all areas. So that has me thinking about you know, the future and the possibilities of a dedicated Xbox handheld. There are two, two camps we're going to touch on Paris because Jez, our buddy Jez has been talking about this a little bit online. The first concept that people are throwing around is a cloud focused handheld. It is a dedicated handheld, lower spec that is designed to play cloud games. How do you feel about that? Is that the right approach for Microsoft's future? No, I don't think they need a dedicated handheld at all on, <gasps> on any level, be it cloud-based or, or native. I think, like I was holding up my Steam Deck a second ago, they're, they're putting their games on Steam. So if uh -huh. I want to play an Xbox game, I have, a, I have a Steam Deck, I'll play it there. You know there's going to be other iterations of Steam Deck hardware out there. It's going to have the same compatibility. I, in other words... Why are you worrying about the R&D to basically make a, a Xbox-only handheld when there's going to be others out there where you basically just get to be the publisher and mm -hmm. put your games on those? You can do that. Already today, I can use my phone and play cloud games if I so choose with an accessory. So, so that exists today. I don't need them to create a dedicated hardware for that. So no, I, I, I don't think... I don't think them or just bringing PlayStation into it uh, as well. I don't think we're going to see a Vita 2 as an example. I don't think there's a need to make a, a, an quote-unquote exclusive handheld that only plays your games on it anymore. Nintendo's Nintendo. They're going to do what the hell they want. That's different. We already know that. Because they, they actually make their hard, their hardware is actually a part of the experience, right? Of, of the gameplay. That's why Nintendo's unique in that way. But as far as Xbox, PlayStation, or anyone else... Valve just gave us the blueprint. Do that. Yep. Just keep doing that. I don't think we, I don't think Xbox now, unless Microsoft take Xbox out of it. Now, Microsoft wants to create their own handheld that plays everything because it can play steam Epic store, all that stuff. You're playing PlayStation, whatever you want on it. That's a different story, but to make an exclusive, it only plays things in the Xbox ecosystem. I don't think they need to do it personally, because their whole thing has been play whatever the hell you want. They're already allowing these other devices to let you play, be it via the cloud or native now in a handheld again, due to the Steam Deck. And we know there's going to be other versions of the Steam Deck throughout the years. So no, I don't think they need to do it. Yeah, that's, uh, it's, it's an interesting conversation to have right now when we see this push into the mobile space. Cause yeah, you know, for a while, a lot of like the Vita went away, uh, Nintendo kind of, I mean, they still have the switch, which is considered a handheld, but for a while, like the, the mobile scene, the handheld gaming scene was so massive. And then objectively in a lot of ways that has diminished, but we've seen a, a resurgence in recent years post the huge runaway success of the switch with the steam deck coming out that says, you know, we like the idea of the switch, but we want more flexibility. We want more power. And so that's got a lot of people reconsidering some of the, the handheld ideas of the past and how these companies might introduce them into the future. I agree that Xbox, I don't think needs a dedicated cloud-focused handheld device. 
They are going to TV. They're like you said, they're going to where people are. If you have a phone, they're there. If you have a lab web browser, they're there. If you have a TV, they're there. So I think a device that is specifically targeting cloud gaming, unless it is dirt cheap, unless it's like 150 bucks, like I don't understand who that's for. If you can get it lower than the price of the cheapest switch, maybe there's a market, but otherwise I don't understand who that's for. Right. The dedicated side, the native hardware side of things, I'm in the camp that I do see potential there. And it would be cool if, like you said, in addition to having the experience of this plays Xbox games, this, this, this has your Series S hardware, whatever it might be equivalent on this device, it'll play all of your Xbox library. I would love to see a dual boot system factored in where Windows is there as well. So in addition to having your Xbox ecosystem, similar to Steam Deck, you can boot into Windows and you can you know, install Steam. You can install Epic Game Store and you can have that experience as well. I think that approach, if they can get the price point right, because price is going to be the key component of doing that. Because as we've seen with the Series S, tying this all back to Japan, the reason the Series S I think is doing incredibly well is that price point. 300 bucks is 300 bucks. And again, you could say, well, if you pay $200 more, you get way more power. Sure, you do. But for a lot of people, they don't care. They really don't care. And they will never pay the extra 200 bucks. So if Microsoft can get a banging handout out for about 300 to 350 bucks that plays native hardware, that leverages the cloud, that can boot Windows as well, and you know, they can have that be this comparison to the Switch in certain markets where the Switch just dominate. The Switch dominates everywhere. Like as much as people in the Xbox and PlayStation camp try to downplay what Nintendo is doing, that device just, you cannot ignore its success. You cannot ignore its appeal. Sure, it's underpowered. And that's why a lot of people who play on PC, play on Xbox, they want that answer to come out and have the power, have the portability and do it all. And... <laughs> There are devices that do it all for $1,000. And I think Microsoft has a potential to maybe experiment with a way to have the power, have the price, have the portability, and appeal to a whole new audience for a price that is reasonable for the average customer. So if they can do that, I would be excited for an Xbox handheld, I think. And that's reasonable. I mean, trust me, I'm not saying I don't think they wouldn't do it. It wouldn't shock me at all. I just with their approach to, to cloud gaming and play wherever you want. And basically Xbox is on any device that you want it to be on. I, I, I just don't see the need. Yeah. And again, like they might just be going all in on cloud. I mean, they clearly are going all in on cloud, but in terms of prototype typing, um, maybe they are looking at the viability. They're looking at the timeline for when great internet will be in all areas of the world, all areas of the United States. And they are factoring in the R and D time for a handheld device with that uptick in internet availability. And they're saying we could do this or we could invest in cloud and just wait until internet is great for everyone. And then we'll be already established. And I think there is a realistic possibility that it goes either way. I, I, I definitely am not in the camp that Xbox will 100% do a handheld. I would love to see them experiment um, with this with this kind of resurgence of that market, but I could absolutely see them just say, we're going all in on cloud. If you want to play on a handheld type device, we have there are plenty of options for you. And again, maybe they'll just lean in the Steam Deck. I would love to see... Well, yeah. I would love to see Xbox Game Pass games play natively on the Steam Deck. If they can just roll that out and say, boom, here's the partnership, I'm good. I'm, I'm, I'm sitting good. And that's, and see, that's kind of what I'm saying. I think because I'm just holding up my Steam Deck or people seeing on here. 
this is now the standard. This yeah. this has become the standard. So you need to meet this or better it. Uh huh. Or why am I picking up your 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 hardware at this point? They're better off saying, "Hey, look, Valve's done all the work for on the hardware side. We make the partnership with them." Like I already have Game Pass on here through through the the cloud. I can exactly. do it right now. But you're talking from a native standpoint. They already put their games on Steam. I can download them and play them on here. We we know that's going to continue to happen. But like you said, make that partnership with Game Pass to now where Game Pass is also on here, and I'm getting everything on it. Done. What, yeah, they, let's go. They, yeah, they, they've done they've done their job through just through a partnership versus trying to sell me another piece of hardware that I don't necessarily need. When you've already given me a choice of where I get to play my Xbox games, I think going to your point they're going to lean way more heavily into cloud than they are worrying about making a native handheld now mm -hmm. could they make a cloud handheld potentially because like you said it's going to come at a very affordable price easy to pick up done that i get but for the native one i, I i'm honestly putting that less than 30 percent that they do that i don't think there's a reason for them to do it at this point yeah it would be um Something that would be more of an experiment. It could be just mm -hmm. an expensive risk, quite frankly, to, mm -hmm. to R&D that and release it and see where it lands. Um, yeah, but I agree. If they could lean into Steam Deck, that would be an easy solution as well. I think what a lot of people want when we talk about these handheld devices and we talk about cloud versus native, there are so many people that are willing to have inferior performance in a lot of ways for a native experience. And right. that's why the, the Switch, you hear people who have a Series X, who have a gaming PC, talk about how they like the Switch because they can play games natively. And I think we will get to a point where cloud works for everyone, but right now it doesn't. It really, even for me, who has really great internet, gigabyte up and down internet, it does not work consistently for me. Um, and so that's where I'm, I look to the future and I look to the possibilities because Cloud gaming, when it functions perfectly, is an amazing experience. It's so, so, we're so close to being native. And as we've learned from streaming services, Netflix, et cetera, you don't, a lot of the map, I would say the majority of people are willing to have an experience that is good enough. It's maybe not the most premium, the most high fidelity, 4K, 120 FPS experience, but if it is good, if it is a great experience, they are willing to overlook you know, some artifacting, they're willing to overlook some, some resolution dips um, because the experience gets the job done. And so as much yeah. as people in the space obsess about the 4K 60, the, the reality is a huge number of people who play video games don't care and they just want an easy way to play the games they own. And so, well, yeah, I agree. I mean, I was just going to bring up Jez. Jez, <laughs> he talks about it all the time on social media, how he will literally at night, he's he's cloud streaming on, uh -huh. on his mobile device or duo or whatever whatever he's using but it's good enough and it's that convenience of i think when i think about the cloud gaming and like obviously going outside the house you want to a 5g connection or whatever but how many times are you realistically going to do that for an extended period of time to where it needs to be the perfect native experience versus i'm at home like you're you're saying i'm on a high bandwidth internet connection you know, the latency is going to be reduced enough that it just works. This is why they're going to get that Xbox app on TVs because now every TV becomes an Xbox in that scenario. The, you know, the hockey puck or whatever they're going to wind up calling it is going to be more of a thing because I think it's more about the convenience 
in your house than it is the the convenience when you're on the go. Mm -hmm. We basically have already given you the convenience on the go. And as 5G improves and they can reduce that latency, it's a good enough experience in a pinch when I'm on the train or whatever, playing for a few minutes and I'm done. And you already got the Steam Deck if you want to do the, the native thing. So this is why I'm thinking they're going to focus more on, I just want to be, lie at night in my bed and play something before I go to sleep experience. Then they are going to worry so much about giving you that native experience when you're outside the house. Yeah, Personally. I think that's, that's fair. Just my opinion. Yeah. yeah, it's not necessarily the most lucrative investment for Microsoft right. to do, to do right. a high-powered native handheld. Um, it was wild enough to see Steam do it and take that risk. And for them, it's paid off. I think that device has sold well, has been received incredibly well. And I think the success of the Steam Deck is why a lot of people are looking at Xbox and even PlayStation and saying, all right, are you going to are you going to step in this ring? Are we going to have all of the we're going to have the console wars and then we're going to have the handheld wars. Yeah. Right? That's the future. <laughs> yeah. All right, final major topic of this show today. Um I just want to talk about our expectations for Xbox in 2023. Um there's been a lot of conversations this year before the Xbox and Bethesda game showcase and after the Xbox and Bethesda game showcase about where Microsoft isn't delivering for its its hardcore audience when it comes to, I think first party is the most glaring thing. And that's the thing everyone points to when they talk about frustrations with Xbox. Because I think realistically, hardware is great. I think that the platform is great. Xbox Game Pass, fantastic service, really redefining how we consume video games. But I think when I look at criticisms online, 99% of them are first party. Xbox did not give me enough first party exclusives. And so I am upset. What do you personally want to see from Xbox in 2023? Well, and that's the thing. And this kind of just brings it full circle to our original conversation when we were talking about, you know, delays and just everything with the pandemic. 2023 has to be the year for them for Xbox Game Studios to kind of quote unquote debut. <laughs> you know, we, we've, we've just simply not had enough first party content in this, and I'm doing air quotes, next generation of, of gaming. So we already know we're getting Forza. We know we're getting Redfall. We know we're getting Starfield. I think clearly for the first half of 2023, that's going to be very solid for them. Knock on wood, we don't have any more delays. What does that second half of 2023 look like? What are we going to get that that's going to come that short term? I I hope we get avowed. I'm not I'm not going to assume we're getting avowed, but I hope we get something like avowed. Is perfect dark ready? Is Hellblade 2 ready? Like What's going to be ready on the back half of 2023 from, and I'm talking Xbox Game Studios, not third party, any of that. What else does Bethesda have cooking? Are we getting a Wolfenstein 3? Is that happening? Is Indiana Jones, like, there's so many different things from their internal studios that we know are being worked on that are they going to be ready for 2023, early 2024, that they can talk about a year from now at, at the next big showcase that they're going to have to, because the big thing for, for Xbox and Matt booty was, was on kind of funny. Look, he went on X cast. He's on the other one. Mm, Greg Miller. Wow. But, wow. Yeah, Greg. I know. Look, you know, we're on that Phil Spencer and Matt booty have been on kind of funny, but not X cast. That's it's ridiculous. Greg is just we, we monopolizing the guests. Yeah, Come on, Greg. Greg do, do better, man. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but, but to the point, uh, Matt Booty said on there, you know, the goal is to have a game a quarter come yes. out from Xbox yep. Game Studios. 
if they can get to that cadence, if they can come out a year from now with confidence and show you we're now hitting that cadence of a game a quarter, that's the goal here. That's the whole point of Game Pass, right? That's what gets people excited to go, I can subscribe to this thing every month and I know I'm getting a steady stream of content coming from their first party studios and obviously supplement it with some third party stuff as well. That's what I hope, that's the conversation I hope we're having a year from now when it comes to, to Xbox and, and their, their titles. Like I said, I think they've cemented their first half of 2023 at the last showcase. Cause like I said, we know we're getting those big three, big three AAA titles from them. Now let's see what the next, the second half of 2023, maybe even potentially the first half of 2024 looks like, because I think that's important too. Sure. You're going to have your big holiday titles for 2023 coming from them. What are you giving me in the first half of the year to keep me engaged, mm-hmm. so to speak, right? From them, not third party, from Xbox Game Studios. What are you going to show me that's on the roadmap? Like, I envision, let's just pretend, I envision t- the end of 2023, probably their big holiday title is going to be Hellblade 2. I think, I think that feels right to me. The big one in 2024, first half, give me a vow. If they could give, if Obsidian could drop a vow in, let's say, March of 2024, I think that would be a big tentpole for them. And then you supplement it with a couple other things. We know Compulsion's working on stuff. We're State of Decay 3, right? In Exile. Like, there's all these th- other studios that we know are working on stuff where it just feels like we're around the time that something should be coming out you know, a year from now, you know, 18 months from now. So let's see what that looks like from them. We know we're probably we're probably getting Forza Horizon 6 or something around that time too, if they keep that cadence going. The next big Halo, we talk about Halo and content. What is Certain Infinity doing? That sounds like the end of 2023 going into 2024. We know we're going to get more campaign content. That seems to be around that time as well. So if you strategically stage that stuff with new and existing titles, big DLC expansions, all with this big cadence from, all right, here's what you're getting from August of 2023 until May of 2024. And it's like, damn, every other month they got something coming out. Holy crap. All right, I'm glad I'm subscribed to Game Pass and I have access to all that stuff. If they can establish that, and have that and say it with the chest. I think they're in a good place. I really let's go. Yes. Uh, I guess this is a controversial opinion. Uh, I've talked about this a few times now, but I really, really liked Xbox's 12 month approach at the Xbox and Bethesda game showcase, because a lot of the Xbox community right now, when we look at the people who are most heavily invested, they are tired of waiting. They are tired of hearing about what's going to be coming in the distant future. And a lot of people want to know what they will be playing in the, in the near term. And so I thought that the focus on 12 months was great. And as you touched on, we look at 2023, we know the beginning is going to be decent. We know that the beginning is going to be decent with, with Forza, uh, Redfall, Starfield. What I want to see, again, we, they just did this in June. What I want to see at the start, what I want to see January 1st from Xbox is I want to see that quarterly mo- roadmap. As you touched on, Matt Booty, Phil Spencer, other people from Xbox have, have stressed this one big game per quarter. And if, again, we know the reality of dates shift, they don't have to give us dates at all. I just want to see a rough roadmap of what 2023 looks like. And I want to know this quarter, we can hopefully expect... Redfall, this quarter we can expect Starfield, this quarter we can expect Contraband, this quarter we can expect Hellblade 2. 
Like if they can just do that at the start of the year and say, these are the four big games we are hoping to bring to you this year. I think that's going to go such a long way. And we won't have these conversations of, you know, when are the Xbox games coming? When are we seeing this? Because when we look at the slate of games on the horizon for Xbox, there are so many. It's it's a humongous list. And I think that also amplifies the frustrations because people are like, you have 20 games coming, but we don't know when any of them are coming. And so I really hope they can sit down and talk to these teams and figure out a rough roadmap for the year and make that kind of just a tradition moving forward. And again, dates shift, timelines shift. This doesn't have to be pie in the sky. Give us all your release dates at the beginning of the year. Just let us know roughly when you're expecting to have this game. And I think that would go such a long way to satiate, quell, and calm down all of the uh, the wild Xbox conversations that have happened in the last couple months. Completely agree. So let's do it. Give me the Marvel roadmap. Again, it doesn't have to. Marvel gives you like five years or whatever it is. But just give me one year. Can we Can we do that? Is that unrealistic? Well- well, it goes back to what you're saying, and, and I've talked about this before. I, I agree. I thought the 12-month roadmap made sense because, and they were kind of in a damned if you do, damned if you don't scenario with that. 100%. You know, talking, talk, 100%. Talking, to, talking to a few people at the showcase. Personally, I think it should have given people a heads up that this was what the showcase was going to be, but, you know, it, time's passed. It's fine. You, they, people are like, Xbox has no games. Xbox, what do you got coming? We don't know what's coming. All right. Here's what you're going to get in the next 12 months. Drop the mic. We're done. Yep. That's the right approach. I think to your point going into 2023, I would slightly disagree. I don't think they need to come out January and say, here's, here's the 2023 slate. I don't think they need to do that because I think they've already told you until June of next year what we're getting. So I already know what the first half is. I think they can walk on that stage again in June of 2023. Now here's, the rest of 2023 and into 2024 they could keep that cadence going i actually like that cadence of doing that with the big mega show my critique has been now throughout the year supplement that those big announcements with smaller announcements yes and maybe you know you could use xo or the game awards or whatever and use that as more forward looking you know into hey you know, Keeley's already done it with Hellblade 2 and Perfect Dark. Those are games that were years away that were debuted to hell. The Series X was debuted at the Game Awards. So you continue to do that. You can use your own XO show, you know, when that comes back tied with FanFest to look towards the future of stuff. During the year, talk about some of the games that would get lost in the shuffle of the big June show where you give them their time and their spotlight. And again, if they get to that cadence where we're getting stuff once a quarter, you can set up that quarter with big, a big reveal of that, a sit down conversation. Look, I know somebody can host it. They can sit down and and talk with with some of these studios and developers about this stuff. And you give those games their time to shine. So they're not lost in the shuffle of a, of a Starfield announcement and things like that. So it's obviously forever evolving and i did have a couple conversations during during the showcase with the people at xbox and the one analogy that that was said to me is is it takes time to turn a battleship you already know we're going to go but it takes time to turn it so they're already having these conversations and they clearly realize they kind of need to work on their messaging and communication again to have a cadence of it so people know what to expect throughout the year and it seems like when we go into next year some things are are potentially going to change so again i I personally think they're going headed the right direction. And like I said at the top, the pandemic 
screwed everybody. Obviously, it's really hit Microsoft here because they've just not had the big titles come out since 2020 beyond Halo Infinite. You know, Forza Horizon, you can argue, is as well. But we know what's coming. And I know people are tired of hearing it because I'm tired of hearing it. So they got to start delivering. So as we get into 2023, start delivering. And then I think they'll be fine. Exactly. If we're in another situation where 2023 is a super light year, um, I <laughs> I don't even want to be online if that's the case, because the conversations have already um, turned very hostile towards Microsoft's output in terms of first party. So I agree. I think Microsoft needs to do a much better job with showcases, because I, quite frankly, do not want an Xbox and Bethesda and Activision and Blizzard showcase in June. And that's it. I think they really need to lean into, like you said, those smaller showcases because they have every month, every single month, they have really, really cool stuff coming to Game Pass. Why aren't we getting like as much as people complain about them in some in some cases, like Nintendo does the partner directs or or PlayStation, a state of play that was entirely third party focused. And that was one of the most exciting announcements of the summer because it was just a bunch of huge games. Why isn't Microsoft catering to that? And leaning into that so they can sprinkle in some first-party stuff, sprinkle in some Game Pass stuff, sprinkle in some third-party stuff, put the Xbox logo on it and say, boom, here's why you should be excited for Xbox in the next couple months. Like, those are important because in the silence, we have a lot of pessimism. Completely agree. And I think what... Glad you said that. Personally, next year, I'm decoupling Xbox Bethesda Showcase. It is the Xbox Showcase. Because what I think you can do because by then they're going to have Activision Blizzard. Bethesda already has QuakeCon. Activision already has BlizzCon. You can use the, and you know, Call of Duty usually around, you know, the May time frame and then later for the multiplayer stuff in like September usually has their own big things as well. You can continue to do those things and showcase those games. You don't have to like you say jam everything Bethesda and Please Activision don't. and Xbox all into one big Ugh. mega show in June. I don't want that. You can no. start to spread these things out. Now, look, there could be some big announcements there. Like, you could use the June showcase to go a teaser for, I don't know, Wolfenstein 3. Get more at QuakeCon. There right? Yeah. Now, now you're yeah. setting up a QuakeCon show. You're obviously showing off Call of Duty. Day one on Gamepad, Warzone 12.5, whatever the hell they're going to call it. Get more in September at the full multiplayer reveal for Call of Duty. Like, you can start doing these things. Uh, not World of Warcraft, uh, obviously Overwatch stuff, like all the Blizzard things, Diablo. We can do those at BlizzCon. And now you're spreading out all this content that's a part of Xbox Game Studios throughout the year. Maybe, because now, right now, a lot of stuff seems condensed into the summer where most of it happens. Maybe you shift some of that stuff around and you have a big event for you know some of your other studios at the beginning of the year. Right. And then it's almost like June is just the culmination of everything where we consolidate some stuff and we have some big announcements for a roadmap for that next calendar year. But then we use these other shows to actually give you more in-depth conversations about these games that we talked about. That's kind of what, look, if I worked there, that's what I would do personally, but I don't work there. So they're not going to listen to me. But uh, like I said, I think we're getting to a point now where Xbox Game Studios is going to be so big with so much content that you got to start parsing this stuff out throughout the year. There's just the, the big June show doesn't make sense to, to try and talk about everything. 
It doesn't. And that's something that I've touched on a lot is as Microsoft and Xbox Game Studios continue to grow and as these projects start lining up, yeah, one, what, you're going to have a five-hour showcase in June and then just be dead silent the rest of the year? No, it's... Yeah. I understand that putting on a show is hard. And when I wrote my editorial about this originally, that's something I touched on is I understand there's a lot of work that goes into producing a video showcase. There's a lot of people and then you have to rely on teams to get you trailers. There's It's a lot of work. I do understand that. I'm not trying to downplay that. But that being said, just because it is a lot of work, it doesn't mean it's something you shouldn't be doing more consistently. And Microsoft, more than anyone else, needs to be more consistent with with their showcases as they as we look to the future and as we look to the huge slate of first party games as we look to the publishing projects as we look to game pass releases yeah there's there's room for them to uh communicate what's coming more frequently yeah i mean look i'm going to selfishly say that the extended showcase format i really like but what i will also say to that is i would like to see that expanded out throughout the year where whoever's hosting it, whatever you, however you want to do it, but someone sitting down, you know, with a Pete Hines and talking about Redfall in depth, right? Someone sitting down with Joe Staten and talking about the future of Halo. Yeah. That's the kind of stuff that I want to see happen throughout the year, not just in June. Do it throughout the year. I think that that works a lot better in my personal opinion because you're keeping people consistently engaged with it in smaller chunks but their con xbox is on your every damn week there's something xbox if like mm -hmm. i swear they were doing that in early 2021 it was like yeah. every damn week you look around i was like this is xbox they always putting out something and then they kind of stopped so i hope they get back to that and they do more on camera stuff with that and put the faces you know to these games because you know taking it back to our early conversation with all the dev harassment and all that i think it, the more you humanize the people that are making these games the better I think people can be a little more more considerate and have more patience when it when it comes to things when they get delayed because you realize there are real people making these games and we all have our real life issues and concerns and we're in this different world now and you know be a little more respectful when it when it comes to that stuff. Yeah, I'm a huge champion of that as well because it is important to understand that at the end of the day like you said these are people making the games and these are people just trying to make something that you can have fun with. And it's, it's always frustrating and upsetting when I see people turn that into something nefarious and they, they throw yeah. around these assumptions of what's going on behind the scenes and why these people are doing the things they do, why things aren't happening when everyone is just working really hard to put a game out into the world for people to enjoy. And it's, it's again, of all the things to be, you know, all of all the things to question and have concerns about and, you know, have nefarious ideologies I feel like video game development is um, not the, not not on the top of my list. I'll say that. Um, all right, I'm gonna get to some super chats here. Jeremy G says, "As always, this is an excellent podcast." <laughs> uh, perfect. Uh, what else we got here? What else do we got here? Hargeet again, killing it. September 22nd, Deathloop. November Pentiment. End of 2022, ABK deal complete. January, announce another publisher acquisition. My God. February, Redfall. March, Ghostwire. April, Forza. Um, do you want Xbox... Let's, let's have a quick conversation on that. Do you want Xbox to immediately announce another acquisition after this deal closes? No, I don't. I'll, where <laughs> I'm at they is... Can, they can take a break. Honestly. Yeah, the, what a lot of people don't understand is 
They can't do anything right now. Microsoft cannot interact really with Activision Blizzard King in any major capacity. They can have conversations, but once that deal closes, then they have to integrate thousands and thousands and thousands of people, restructure everything, figure out how it all ties into the Xbox ecosystem. And as Phil Spencer has publicly touched on, no, none of them have any idea how to do that. This is the biggest acquisition in video game history. Like the aftermath, once this deal closes, is going to be so long-winded. And for them to just go straight into another publisher acquisition, I can't fathom it. I can't, I can't fathom they'll go straight from the biggest one ever directly into another one without spending several months figuring out what this means for their business. Because they still haven't even figured out all of that. Obviously, we can talk about the big bullet points and the broad brushes of what it means for their business. But deep down, they have to sit down and figure out how that is how that is going to look. So, yeah, I'm not expecting an acquisition early next year, personally. But. No, I'm not either. I, I, I do think we'll maybe by the end of 2023, you might start seeing some of that again. But, yeah, I, I think they're probably going to take a break because, like you said, they're going to have a lot of work to do. I quite frankly hope they anyway. don't. I would have concerns yeah. if they go straight into another acquisition about how they can even manage all of this, to be honest, because it's... It's no small task to integrate any team. And you're talking about multiple different divisions and thousands of employees. Woo! Yeah. Don't envy that team, that's for sure. Uh, RDX Son of Fett asks, where's Exomecha and Goldeneye? So, yeah, where's, where's Goldeneye? Paris, do you, do you think that's coming soon? There's been so many conversations about Goldeneye because the achievements leaked. And everyone's like, where is it? I mean, we're obviously going to get it here shortly. Might be Gamescom or something. Who knows? But um, I personally don't think it's that big of a deal. I think I think a lot of people are being nostalgic for GoldenEye, but then I think when you actually get it, you're going to go, is this? Oh, there's people in the chat like, grabbing the edge of their chair. Don't! Don't you say it! This, this, this is my personal opinion. Yeah, next Exomecha. Yeah, where is it? Again, maybe maybe it's Gamescom or something. I, I don't know. but But clearly... Um, it didn't fit into that 12-month roadmap of stuff yep. they had coming out because if it did, they would have said it. Because was that, correct me if I'm wrong, was that originally scheduled for 2020? Or was that, I think that was like a launch window title for Series Yeah. I, I, look, I'll bring it full circle. This is why I'm telling you the pandemic <laughs> and everything. It happens, you know, it, yep. it happens. And GoldenEye, yeah, um, there's been conversations of maybe the whole situation in Russia has been a factor because Russia is the, the main kind of villain antagonist of that. So I don't know if that is a factor and maybe they're just sitting on that until that gets resolved or what the reality is. But yeah, the achievements are there. It's coming at some point. I just, I have no idea when. No idea when. Um, RDX Son of Fett also says we need design labs for consoles. Dealer's idea. What do you think that would cost? Let's say a Series X is $500 normally. What's a custom design lab Series X setting you back? Yeah, that's a good question. I think you got to at least put an additional $50 on it. Yeah, because they charge for, for the custom, 10 for, for the, the, starting at 10 for the controller. Yeah, right? I, I would say so. But, but along those lines, we talked about it on XCast as well. Um, I, 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 need, I need the Elite Controller and Design Labs. That's what I want to see. Um, I mean, like they did the custom one for, for Halo Infinite. I want to see more of that stuff where we get to design our own Elite controllers. I think that people will be willing to pay the premium price for it because clearly the, the Elite controller is the best controller you can use on Xbox and to have your own personalized one 
um, would would be fantastic. Because yeah. you already and you guys already know what I would think. So it's pretty. Let's roll that out with the Elite Three. All right, yeah. Elite Three Design Labs, and please make the bumpers work. I'm sorry, like I've had so many issues with my Elite One and Two. Uh, I had to send my Elite One in three times. I had to send my Elite Two in two times, and then the third time I just fixed the bumpers myself. But please, with the Elite Three, let the bumpers last more than a year. Yeah. Please. That's all. That's, I know it's tough. I know it's hard. Maybe I'm mashing it. Maybe I have these hands that are just crushing the triggers. But I feel like I'm pretty careful, pretty delicate. Um, but yeah. Now, I will I, say I've I've had mine since I guess that was in the before time. So this is 2019 when it came with October 2019. Still immaculate condition. I've had no issues. So I'll give them that. Give them that. Give them that. Um, all right. Uh, Hargeet says May 23rd for Diablo. May 23rd. That's a very specific date. Hellblade September and Starfield November. I don't think Starfield's getting pushed to November. Do you? Let's hope not. They, they told I'll us say, 12 months, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, again, I, I think it, it's funny. Let's, let's, let's talk on that for just a second. So it's pretty clear when, when Phil and all of them went out to Bethesda, that decision was made then. Yeah. Just, the, oh, the this is what it looks game. like. Oh no. Hold yeah. on. Hold it on. was obviously, and, and it's pretty clear. It's an optimization thing that's going yes. on right now. They need more time because what has Bethesda's reputation been for well over a decade now? Bug Bethesda, they right? They release buggy, unoptimized games. It's pretty clear they don't want this because it's a flagship game coming out of Bethesda. Todd Howard, first new IP he's done in 25 years or whatever it's been. They don't want a Fallout 76 reception with Starfield. They want it to be as polished as it can possibly be. So it's pretty clear a conversation, a hard conversation was made face to face in in Maryland earlier this year. We need more time. Yep. And if you ask me, they're going to take all of the first half of 2023. We probably don't get Starfield until May because when it does come out, they want it to be in as great a, a position as it can possibly be in from an optimization standpoint. So if it did get delayed further into November, do it without hesitation. Do it. I don't want buggy games. No one does. So yeah. if you need more time, you take more time. Simple as that. So I don't think, you know, that message is the craziest thought, but I don't want to be a negative Nancy either. So I hope it comes in May of this year. I don't think it gets delayed again. Yeah, I'm I'm in the camp that I think the reason that they didn't give us any window or date for either title is because they, like you said, want to make sure that these titles ship in a solid state. Because again, let's circling back to Halo Infinite, that was their last flagship title. And the conversations since launch for that flagship title have not been that positive from a lot of now people. Now that one's different. That's actually I mean, different. It's not it buggy. It, it, it's it launched great. The, the issue is not the launch of Halo Infinite. It, no. From a technical standpoint, Halo Infinite's fine. It had a very strong launch. Think about it. We were all, look in November, December of of 2020. We were all singing the praises. Oh yeah. Of Halo oh, Infinite yeah. or 2021. Excuse me. We're all singing the praises of Halo Infinite because you did the the, the stealth multiplayer launch. Multiplayer was fun as hell at first. The campaign was solid. From a technical standpoint, there were no issues. The issue with Halo Infinite is the lack of additional content that we perceived was was the promise. 
because you were saying this is a living, breathing live service game. Where's the content? And mm-hmm. being a longtime Bungie fan, I know that pain because this is what we suffered through the first <laughs> couple of years. But to that point, Bungie was able to get away with it for two reasons. They had that raid. They had Vault of Glass. If it was not for Vault of Glass, there is no destiny right now. I'm telling you that. And the second part is they were able to, it was unprecedented at the time with how that all worked. They had the cushion of kind of being the first to deal with that, right? Whereas now they found their footing, they found their cadence, and they have this consistent roadmap that's been coming out for, for that game. But if Destiny launched now, the way it launched in 2014, done. It would be done after a year. It would be Outriders. That's what it would be. It would be Outriders where how dare you give me a game that's launching not in a great state, not a lot of content, you know, for the end game stuff. And then a year later, you want to charge me $40 for an expansion. Not sure I want to give you my $40. That's where Destiny would be right now. Yeah, yeah. And and my, I guess my thought uh, circling back to that was just regarding the conversation that Halo should have been delayed. I, I wouldn't want to see Starfield right. come out and be and have people say this should have been delayed. This isn't polished. Again, like you said, Halo Infinite was polished. It wasn't the lack of polish that people were concerned about. It was the lack of features and content. But again, having back-to-back flagship games come out and people say this shouldn't have been shipped, not a good look for the future of Xbox Game Studios. And not what they promised the developers and quite frankly, the, the, the audience when it comes to why we should be excited about acquisitions, because there's been people who say that, you know, we can't be negative about acquisitions and acquisitions are good. And then you have people who are saying that we should be concerned about acquisitions. And there have been some, you know, worthwhile conversations to be had there. And again, the reason we're supposed to be excited about Xbox acquisitions is it's supposed to mean better things for the teams and the games. And that has to remain consistent. That that has to for me. Oh, Paris, how many times have you taken it to the danger zone in theaters with Top Gun Maverick? I just once. I, I just saw it once uh, with, with my wife. Lo- loved it. I, it's, yeah. I, honestly, one of the best movies I've seen in a long time. I highly encourage everybody to go see it. It's really that good. And having been, I was in the Navy in the 90s and I worked in the Top Gun hangar. Uh, to see the accuracy like i'm a huge critic of when i watch military movies because all i see is what's wrong they got a lot right in that in that experience so that just made it even more enjoyable for me yeah that was uh jeff and i's big send-off because jeff recently moved out of colorado so uh, the weekend before he left we went and saw top gun maverick (laughs) and it was yeah yeah, it's a damn good movie i don't even like i like the original i was never like a humongous fan but yeah, it's hard not to get amped up watching Maverick. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry. That movie's oh, yeah. just, that's just good. That's just a damn good movie. Paris, that's going to do it for this week's episode of Xbox Chatterdays. Again, love having you on, man. Appreciate your insights. Appreciate that we can sit here and have some, some good conversations for eight, uh, about two hours now. Uh, yeah, uh, right. Yeah. Whew. So for everyone hanging out, joining us one more time, where, where can they get a hold of you? Uh, you can find me over at Gamertag Radio, and you can find me over at Kind of Funny, and I'm on social media at Vicious696. Beautiful. Keeping it short and sweet. Appreciate you, man. That is going to do it for this week's episode. Appreciate everyone listening. Appreciate everyone watching. Have a fantastic holiday weekend, and we will catch you all next weekend. Take care, everybody.